Butuma. Uh, good evening to you, um, Kulua Waman. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, good evening, um, Ayabonga. Congratulations on your new show. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Butuma, now you penned an article earlier on in the morning and you were saying every central bank across the world is moving in a direction now that is aimed at easing monetary policy, largely due to, I guess, the stagnant and subdued growth that we're seeing across the global economy. And yet, APE South Africa, the South African Reserve Bank, uh, continues to, uh, I guess, even in its quarterly projection model, uh, uh, one, uh, to say that it wants to rein in and anchor inflationary expectations and that uh, uh, we should also brace ourselves from a 25 basis points rise by the end of this year. What do you make of that? I think it's absolutely... Uh it's absolutely outrageous that the Reserve Bank didn't cut interest rates last week. You must remember, Ayabonga, the context in which I'm saying this. Um, over the past decade, we've had a lost decade in terms of economic development. Our economy has grown by 1.5% a year for 10 years. In per capita terms, it's grown by 0.2%. So that is the equivalent of standing still. Today, we have 9.7 million unemployed South Africans. And at, at the same time, the unemployment rate for black Africans is 41%. In the Eastern Cape, where my family comes from, it is 47%. Now, we should be viewing the situation as an emergency equivalent of a war. And we should be using all the tools to get our economy growing. But what we have is a Reserve Bank that completely refuses to get involved in real economy decisions. It refuses to participate in debate on how to grow the economy. And they have the, one of the highest interest rates that we see in the world. Our inflation rate is 4%. It's way below the midpoint of the inflation target. And our prime lending rate is 10.25%. There is no logic in an economy that is on the brink of a third recession to be having such a high cost of capital. Mm. And when we look at that cost of capital, it must have an impact, I guess, on the demand conditions here. We're not talking about some abstract thing. You know, it's the cost uh, at which we, we service our installment debt, our you know uh, uh, bonds on the homes that we have, and all manner of other loans that we might have from financial institutions. But also, yes. I guess it dis- yes. incentivizes investment in the real economy. Yeah, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. I think people need to understand that uh, interest rates play a crucial role in the economy. So let's say... Let- there's a scenario where you cut interest rates by 100 basis points. That suddenly re- releases uh, funding, I mean, releases money into the pockets of consumers who are very stressed in terms of electricity price rises and the petrol price rises. It also makes it possible for people to borrow. It makes it possible for businesses to invest more when there's a lower cost of capital. So it has a huge impact on the economy. And the in- nice thing about lowering the cost of capital, it doesn't require state capacity it can stimulate people to spend more in the economy mm. without requiring, you know, our state is not performing very well in terms of the capacity. Mm. So this is one of the tools that we should. And sure. then the other thing, Siabong, I, I mean, I, I want to talk about, we are wedded to this Western notion of how a central bank should operate. In the Eastern countries, central banks, in fact, in the Western countries, they used to do that when they were still developing. And what the East has been doing Central banks get involved in the real economy. For example, I was in China recently, and they set up a facility to provide funding to small businesses from the bank. And then the third, second thing they do, they fund their development finance institutions. And thirdly, they provide liquidity to the banks to lend to consumers. And fourthly, they also get involved in decisions around production in the economy. To illustrate what it could mean in South Africa, let's say that we have priority to um, develop gap housing. 
There mm. is no reason why the central bank cannot give an interest rate at 3% to the banks to on lend to gap housing projects at mm. 3%. So those are the type of things sure, that we should sure. be thinking about. There is no reason why, let me just give you a last example, there is no reason why the central bank can't provide funding to the National Empowerment Fund, to the IDC, to the Land Bank, to be able to lend on to black farmers, to small businesses, and so forth. So those are the type of creative things that mm. I'm thinking about that we should use to develop our economy. Yeah. Puduma, I'd like us to pause there slightly, and uh, uh, I hope we can keep you on the line because the next conversation we're going to be having about the state of play in black business with uh, Andy Lenomlala and uh, Fatima Voda uh, from uh, the Black Management Forum and 27.4 Asset Managers, respectively, is certainly one that's up your alley because I do know that uh, many years ago you wrote a book on uh, uh, black economic empowerment. So uh, please do stay on the line. We're going to rope you in there as uh, we have that conversation and would love to hear some of your perspectives there on uh, whether or not uh, when we think about the state of play in black business uh, that uh, either we're highly disorganized or we've, uh, I guess, allowed many of those in corporate South Africa to have what is perceived as a minimalist approach to empowerment where people just want to comply for the sake of complying and do uh, the utter minimum or are we, uh, I guess, uh, too critical in making that kind of assessment? Do you feel that uh, uh, the state of black business in the last uh, few decades or so has been a story of success in post-apartheid South Africa? would love to hear your views on that one. Give me a ring on uh, 089-110-3377. Also tweet us on at MetroFMSA using the hashtag MetroFMTalk.